the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. How's it going, Lindsay? It's going okay. I'm really looking forward to doing this movie. Going a little bit different direction. This is probably, out of all the films we've done, <laughs> the most different out of anyone. Yeah, um, definitely getting dark. This is a pretty clean podcast, but this one is kind of a controversial movie, so... Making, making it through this without... Uh, this, this one might be a viewer discretion advised. Yeah. Um, but the movie we chose is Larry Clark's Kids from 1995 Mm -hmm. and this is a movie that really extremely controversial at the time uh got an nc-17 rating yeah was banned in some countries i believe i remember it being talked about i mean even now i remember it being talked about on the radio all the time either whether it was a promotional you know something saying controversial film i remember being in a car and listening to npr and them talking about it and how it was a, a pretty big deal. Yeah, this was a film I, I saw in its original release when I was in high school. And you saw it I, in the theater? I saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. and I remember just walking out thinking that I just watched a movie on people that I knew. Uh, it was Whoa. And it really yeah. kind of blew me away. With I had never seen a movie so raw and realistic that wasn't a documentary. To me, it just felt like I was just hanging out with these people, like going to these parties, and it just felt so real to me even though it's a dark film i'd completely identify with that too i think you know in some instances maybe not completely like did i know all of these kids but i knew a fair amount of these kids yeah for sure one of the main reasons i wanted to pick this movie is i mean like i said before go a little off the cuff do something a little bit different Mm -hmm. also do a movie try to put an independently made film in here um, but also I think that this movie is as far as like film history goes to me is like the most like realistic portrayal of teenagers uh, for the 90s of that decade um, I can't think of something that w- was would, would have outdone it um, and I do think that there were movies about teens up until this point most of them were comedies yeah, or, they're like, like, you know, like, or sex comedies you know it's like the in this movie was a sex movie with teens but like but just it was went the real yeah polar opposite direction i think i i, I read i i'm pretty sure it was larry clark that said this but that um if you were to take the movie clueless and pair it next to kids it's pretty much like everything that happens in clueless pretty much happens in kids i mean you know give or take um, but it's just like one is reality based and the other is a complete farce. Right. Um, and it's almost, uh, you know, more insulting to look at teens in this way that that's not a realistic portrayal. And yeah, kids is pretty dark. Um, it's also pretty honest. Yeah. There's a lot to, a lot to talk about, a lot to digest with a film like this. Um, so a couple of things I, th- I think, we'll probably get into here is a little bit about what you're saying like the 
rawness, the honesty of this film, mm-hmm. uh, some of the subject matter that it tackles was, uh, you know, that's the thing is like a lot for the time. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like, is, is it controversial in the sense of, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's being honest about teens, like mm-hmm. doing drugs, having sex. That's something that teens do. And it's something that's been shown in movies a ton, but not in the, in this, not in a real way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that that's worth talking about. I think also, um, again, and this is something that we highlight a lot when we do this podcast is this is a movie where you have a cast of relative unknowns that all mostly went on to have pretty decent careers mm-hmm. um, and all that gave like these really great early performances like Rosario Dawson, um, Chloe Sevigny, um, Leo Fitzpatrick went on to do um, some films too and still does and um, even uh, he has kind of a, a bit part in it but um, John Abrahams. Abrahams, yeah. He yeah. Did, like, was in like Meet the Parents and Scary Movie. Yeah. House of Wax. House of Wax, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, kind of a launching point for a lot of people specifically. I would more focus on like Rosario Dawson yeah. and Chloe Sevigny. Yeah, definitely the the real key Yeah, players, like highlights of the movie. Yeah. We'll go to uh, a clip soon, and then we'll dive into kids. And then after that, uh, as always, we have our picks of the week. And uh, this week, kind of going with a similar theme, uh, I chose a River's Edge, which to me was sort of uh, the darkest teen film out of the 80s. Nice. And uh, what was your pick? Good choice there. Um, mine was uh, The Last Days of Disco. Oh, um, okay. The connection being Chloe Seventy. I love that movie. I love that movie too. It's a good one. Um, and then we uh, we'll close it out with a Murray moment. So uh, as always, yeah. So, but before we go to a clip, uh, as usual, can you give us a quick uh, summary of Kids, and then uh, we'll dig in. Yeah. If you haven't seen Kids, um, this movie takes place in a twenty-four hour time span, uh, an entire day that is like you're you're observing. A group of adolescent boys um, living their just lives of being overly sexual, undisciplined, unsupervised, like skateboard or die lives. Um, while one girl is trying to find the one boy amongst them um, who gave her HIV after her first and only sexual experience with him. That's my take on it. That's pretty, you know, pretty accurate. I think it's sort of like wandering lost in the city trying to track him down because it's really just it is just like you're watching these boys being scumbags yeah just just doing the do doing what they always do but the main what makes it a movie and what makes it focused is the the plot of the chloe 70 character trying to track one of the main character the main boy down yeah, so I think I'm going to find the clip. Uh, this is when she's in the uh, testing clinic, uh, Chloe Seventy's in the Ugh. testing clinic, because I think yeah. that really is what kind of kicks the movie into w- where we actually start to, a plot actually starts to develop in the film. It's not just uh, sort of a, the randomness of a, a day in a life. Yeah. So really, we'll go to that, and then we'll we'll get into... It's really jarring. I remember, yeah. I, I knew that that was going to be a factor when I first saw the movie, and like I could even sense kind of when it was coming, but when it actually happens, 
it's still just like is a stab right in the heart. Yeah. It's punching the gut. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go to that and then we'll we'll uh, get into some get into <laughs> some discussion. Try to not See be. Ya. We'll we'll ke- we'll try to keep it, you know, not as graphic. Yeah. Language-wise. All right, here we go. Jenny, you've tested positive for the HIV virus. What? The test isn't 100% accurate. You should... I tested positive? I'm sorry. We only had sex with Telly. I just came to keep Ruby company. So that that clip to me is... uh, It gets me every time. It gets me too, and I... um, This is a very... This is a movie, I mean, you know, we were on the fence of like choosing because it is very vulgar and it's very crass and it's not a pleasant movie to watch. I mean, just trying to uh, watch it twice in a week and a half, the, the second viewing was yeah. was a lot harder to digest. Um, and, and I think, too, that there's movies like that. I mean, this is and again, I always compartmentalize things uh, with like, well, these movies are in this category or list to me um i can't help it that's just the way i when i'm thinking movies but like to me this is one of those movies that goes into like this compartment of like movies like bad lieutenant or like the deer hunter these movies that like they're really pretty hard movies for me to sit through like they're emotionally difficult or yeah they're they're like exhausting or they're the subject matter is so rough um but because it goes to such a dark place in such a real effective way, I get something out of it. Like I get a charge, I get like a response. Yeah. Um, but it is something, it is a, it is a, I have to be in a particular yeah. mood. It's just, you know, it's like, you I'm not going to come home from working all day and be like, Hey, I'm going to throw on kids for about 25 Sounds minutes. Sounds like a great one. Yeah. yeah. To unwind. <laughs> Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot in this movie that, you know, there's a lot, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, this movie is controversial and, and there's a lot of what goes on in this movie that, that is very, I think because the movie is not, it does, it's not really glamorizing kids. And I think maybe some people get the sense that it, it, that this is like a, a glamorized version of like kids running amok. Um, but to me, it's sort of the opposite because it's it shows a lot of consequence and it shows the ugliness and sort of the the. B- but there's a lot in this movie that is it makes you mad and it's and especially watching it. Me not what me watching this movie as an adult. There's a lot of this that makes me angry and it's just like oh man, you just want to like grab these kids and yeah. shake them, you know. There's a lot of setup in in all of this that, that is. Um, I mean there just with small things with um the scene that i i love in particular is like in the in the beginning where we have like um not a split screen but going back and forth from like a group of boys talking about sex to a group of girls talking about sex and yeah. and and showing that the boys completely do not understand um girls experience at all and i mean that is something that's very intentional in the movie is showing is showing this disconnect and I feel like there are numerous things where this movie sets us up with something and then is like, bam, there's the there's the consequence. And it's also 
one of the reasons, like you said, I feel like this movie isn't taking, um, like taking advantage of, or, or it doesn't feel voyeuristic to me. And I know that it's been accused of that, um, that it feels a little scumbaggy or a little gross. But the thing about it, like for me, why it doesn't is because the way that they talk, what they're talking about is, is completely what I remember hearing as a kid. Um, maybe not the same experience, but definitely just as vulgar, just as, I mean, it, it is not untrue. So it doesn't really feel gross to me necessarily watching it. Yeah. And I think, and I think that scene is a very effective scene, the cross cutting, because you really are getting a view of, you know, sex talk in movies a lot of times is very, uh, comical yeah comical or like you know it's not approached in such a raw real way and uh certainly when i was when i remember watching this movie just the the sex talk stuff is like i mean i i would probably say like i heard more of that like in my 20s of people talking like that than or in college than than in high school but it's still i remember that being a very effective scene of like oh these guys are talking about this and then the girl the girl's or basically saying the opposite, like, yeah. oh, these guys think this, but they're, you know, yeah. I think it's a very, it's a very real way to um, show, show like a difference in what, yeah. what's going through and, like high school boys' minds. And you know. it had been a little while since I'd seen this movie initially. And when I went back and watched it the first time around and the sex talk started and the boys are, are talking specifically about like, girls love to give oral they love it and blah blah i'm not going to elaborate but they sure do and every which way and talk about it and then they cut to the girls and they're like you know what the worst thing is is actually you know right <laughs> like i i laughed out loud because i'm like that was just like set it up and like knocked it right out that was, that was perfect yeah again we have these scenes where like you said there's people talking about real topics that real kids would would say yeah but this isn't a movie about tapping into feelings it's more about it's more like animalistic it's more impulsive um where other movies with teens it's more about my emotions or like yeah i don't i don't feel good about myself there's none of that in this movie it's always it's always about immediate gratification yeah but but again i i to me and, and even watching it now i just i don't at least to me i don't get the sense that they're trying that the, the point of this was to make this seem like these kids are cool that this is a yeah a glamorized version of like never being 16 and living in new york city never um it feels more like a snapshot of what was happening in in this particular group of kids in new york um i i like what you said about um how it feels aimless and kind of yeah no direction i think that there is a lot of and yeah it does doesn't really go very deep into emotions of like what these kids are feeling but i think because the actors that were chosen were so i mean they weren't professionally trained actors i think that they were chosen because they could play these roles because they kind of were these characters a little bit 
Um, I mean, maybe not like exactly these characters, but they knew these characters or knew someone like this. Like it was very easy and natural. And I think that the loneliness or the just just being disconnected was easy to tap into. I think the the character of Casper, who's the um, best friend of the of the main character Telly, um, he's he's one of my favorites as far as that is concerned because I I I view him through through the whole movie as like looking up to Telly, who's like the scumbaggiest of all of them that's just like looking forward to finding the next virgin right you know um and casper is almost i mean he he looks up to telly and he's like wanting to hear his stories and is is like his little puppy and in some ways wants to be him but he's also he's also the guy that's not getting not having sex and not not that that's like a big part of of the storyline but he's just like kind of He's just kind of messed up constantly and thinks that he knows or is at least going along with Telly, but he, he really doesn't. And I, I feel like, um, you see this, um, numerous times throughout the, um, throughout the movie, the ending, um, the ending sequence. I don't know if we need to go into that like right now, but like the ending sequence, um, I feel like you, that is, one of the most emotional moments I feel like for, for Casper. Um, I can go into it. Right, go for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're like at, at the end or we may like, as well not, we were talking about the movie kids. So I mean, okay. Um, so like towards the end, um, we're, we're already very aware that tell, well, we as an audience are aware that Telly has HIV or we're assuming that he has HIV that, um, Jenny Chloe 70 has HIV and um we're at this party Casper walks in on uh Telly who's passed out on this girl that he's had sex with and it's like the only kind of sweet sweet moment it's not even like sweet it's just like you just for once see Telly like not in the act of sex and he's laying on this girl like just in in an embrace and the whole movie Casper has been kind of looking up to Telly and like waiting for the next story and then he sees him like this cuddled up with a girl and it's almost like you see that sadness a little bit or at least I feel like you do it's like sadness and jealousy totally yeah sadness and jealousy and then the next thing in his adolescent brain what does he do to like feel that same thing he finds spoiler alert here but he finds chloe 70 jenny um passed out on the couch and ends up raping her and then the that rape scene too isn't like it's not like jodie foster's the accused it's not like i spit on your grave it's it's not something that's terribly violent but it is it is taking advantage of of a girl that's completely passed out but at the same time being like hey it's me it's cool everything everything's fine everything's fine i'm totally raping you right now um but in his mind like that's okay and it whether that's what are the whether that's like adolescence or just 
being completely messed up and being wasted and high your whole life. Um, whatever that is, like that whole last sequence of Casper, um, I think is very telling about his whole character and kind of who he is. Yeah. Well, I, and I, and I think too, like the, you bring in, you know, talking about that scene, yeah. that's a difficult scene to watch. Um, really and the does. second time that I was watching this movie, uh, when it got to that scene, you know, I started thinking, you know, just when I was taking notes for the podcast, like I started yeah. thinking about how controversial this movie is and how people were disgusted with this movie. But here we are over 20 years outside of this movie coming out and, you know, we have the Brock Turner case and all these documented cases, yeah. documentaries about college rape. And to me, in these cases, you know, we, there, there's always, well, they, they were at a party where they were messed up, yeah. but would these same people that say that if you sit down and watch kids, yeah. you're disgusted by this. So this is rape to you. Yeah. Is it, this, this is, this shows this is what this the is reality what this is. of what that is. <laughs> yeah. of these people who are, yeah. you know, it's rape, you know what I mean? And to me that yeah. this movie was showing that situation that we've heard about still today, you yeah. know, in, public cases and somebody some college guy saying yeah. well we, we were at a party where you know i mean she we was passed out but up. we were both yeah. messed up and so it's to, to me um is harsh and raw as it is i think it that's to me what makes this movie important yeah. in in its portrayal because again it's it's a movie that discusses. but if this was shown to college students you know, if this was shown to high school students, would it show a side of? Would there th be th any question? Right. Really, yeah. Yeah. What, it's, it's, what I'm yeah. getting at is basically like, yes, it, it's uh, it, going back to the whole thing of like not glamorizing this lifestyle. It's like yeah. this is this is wrong. This feels terrible. This feels uncomfortable. But this is something that happens every day. And I think this movie tried to highlight um these terrible things that happen mm -hmm. um without hitting you over the head with it yeah without it, making it be this heavy-handed yeah it's more just message like there here is this and here is what actually happens and this movie also being written by a 19 year old someone that was plugged in um it really just kind of makes it feel as if it is not glamorizing it it's not um trying to uh maybe it is sending a message actually but it's not hitting you over the head with it it's just going this is what this is we're just we're stripping it down for you so it's a blatantly obvious well now i remember the the main ad advertisement tagline for this movie uh which when it came out didn't really I don't think I really thought about it that much, but you look at it now and the tagline to this movie was a wake up call to America. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting thinking about it in that light. Yeah. I feel like, um, I mean, I was definitely affected when I saw this and I, it, it wasn't when it came out, it was probably a year, year later. Um, but I was still like 14, 15. It completely made an impression on me. And made me in very paranoid. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> yeah, and this is a, uh, we'll go to another clip, but this, I, we'll come back from the clip. We'll talk uh, 
I like to talk a little bit. I, I like when we talk about the cast and kind of yeah where they went, what yeah. goes on. We'll lighten it up a little bit <laughs> um, for the second part, and then we'll go to our picks of the week. Yeah. I saw I saw that one girl once before, but she's like bug. Like I don't know, like her face is all mangled and shit. But they look like cornballs from Jersey on ecstasy, feeling the effects to see. <laughs> oh shit! I got some. I got some for you. Check it out. It's a present. It's a present. What is it? It's a present, Jenny Jen. It's like bang up stuff. And I, it's a call to your fork blockbuster, and it's supposed to make special K look weak. Just take it. No, you look sad. Just, come here, just, just take it. Just swallow. I promise. And swallow. Swallow it. See, now you swallow it. Now you'll be floating up in heaven with the angels. You'll be singing with Sammy Davis Jr. You'll be kissing Leo Gorsi on the chops. Don't you know, don't you know, So, I know this is something we keep coming back to um, in the podcast with a lot of these movies, but I when we, when there's these movies where it's like an ensemble and I, I'm a big fan of ensemble piece type movies and uh, especially ones where like cast go on to the cast is upstarts and they go on to be in a lot of other movies. Um, for, I, I think it's like a good topic of discussion that we, yeah. that we can get into. Um, and this is one of those movies I think that like, you, you know, a lot of, there's not, I mean, there is, Telly's a main character and mm-hmm. Casper and Jenny, but in this universe, like all these bit players work together and, and it creates the in- entire feel for the movie, whether it's like the four younger boys that, I mean, I don't know how old they're supposed to be, maybe like 10 or something, but like this group of like four boys you see every now and again, just smoking a fat blunt right? every time you see them. But like it, it is like those these, are the kids that are on the couch. The kids that, on the that's, couch. That's like where my uh, at, at the party scene where he's like, "Yeah, man, what I do is I just like <laughs> I'm like one of those people like smokes weed till I hallucinate." It's like a ten year old saying this, and like I believe him. I believe that he is high right then, yeah. delivering that line yeah. for sure. Um, but it is, it is. Um, the reason that this movie works so well is the cast. Um. And it is because they're, I mean, they were pretty much picked up off the street and like were, were either, um, friends with or knew Harmony Corinne, um, that wrote the screenplay for this movie. One, I mean, the standout player for me is always going to be, um, Chloe's, um, 70, um, Rosario Dawson again has like, she, um, has a great part in it she's not like a major player in it but she has a pretty she uh, along with chloe is um like the only other like main female lead it is a very male centered movie it does focus much more on on the boys um and i think that that's you know that was harmony corinne and and larry clark's like focus and understandably they're dudes like that's what it's gonna focus more on little interesting tidbit that um the actress uh Mia Kirshner who's best known as playing uh uh Jenny on the L word uh, was actually cast as Chloe's character Jenny um and she was the only um actor um 
actor that was like sent down and got cast for this role but she stuck out like a sore thumb because she actually was like a trained actor and then was hanging out with with all of these New York you know street kids whether they're like ravers or like skateboarders um and just like did not fit in so she got she oh got, wow i didn't she know got the boot yeah I, i'd read that someone that they had lost the the main, the lead. main lead and yeah. then they like were able to get chloe 70 like uh, chloe 70 was was cast as one of the like kind of she was friends with harmony corinne yeah yeah before um, yeah, and she was kind of like a background character. Um, and then when Mia Kirshner got canned, um, they immediately went to Chloe Sevigny. And I, I think if I if I remember reading correctly, she kind of held out for a second. Was like, because I, I think... Who, Chloe Sev- Yeah, I think initially they had asked her to show Mia Kirshner like around and like show her how to be like, you know, a New York street kid. Because Chloe Sevigny was like... She was plugged in. She was working at like, a, I think, I can't remember if it was called Rave Central or something like that, but she was working at like a rave store and was like plugged in to the underage New York club scene. Um, so she was, in, in essence, like one of these kids in these mo- in, in this movie. Um, and I think was like a little insulted that she's like, why am I showing this friggin actor around and i could be playing this role like whatever right so i think she held out for a second but i don't think it was very long um so um chloe 70 is 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 the standout person in in um this movie for me and even leo fitzpatrick who plays telly um he is so detestable um that it's it's hard for me whenever i have seen him in other movies to um to like him and and he's also played like not the greatest characters in other movies too right yeah like in bully and storytelling yeah um but uh, the thing is he's he's a really good actor and he sucks in this movie um but he's so, su- his character sucks his, his character sucks but like he's supposed to yeah. And he does it really well. And if you've ever uh, I mean if you look up any interviews with him like he's not you know, he's not this guy at all. Yeah, it's like in the light of day like it's like a Oscar-worthy performance yeah. because Yeah. but it the movie's so raw and like he plays such a unlikable character. He just you I, can't look past it. You're just like he must be this terrible and some of the lines that he delivers too, especially in the beginning, like talking to Casper about, you know, having sex with this like virgin that he just did, like the lines that he's delivering, it's just like, I mean, I can, I can take a lot, but it's like a lot sometimes to like watch a kid that's supposed to be 17, like delivering some lines that you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And his voice is just yeah. really weirdly grating yeah it's like uh, it's like very almost like a muppet yeah and, y- and you would think that it's like and he, he kind of does talk like that but i think it's you know it's a little bit more emphasized when you're yeah. a kid too yeah also um casper who's his best friend he and um the guy that plays harold who his name is harold hunter were New York 
like skateboarders were pretty well known. I think Harold Hunter more more so than Justin Pierce. Um, but they were like New York uh, skateboard and street kids, and they both actually tragically both passed away separate times, separate instances. But um, not too long after this movie, or um, it was it it was quite a few years after. I want to say early to it was maybe like late two thousands. He, I think Justin Pierce was he wasn't in too much, but he was in the second Friday movie. Mm-hmm, he was. He he did die. He he committed suicide. Um, I believe like maybe like two thousand. I believe so. Maybe not that much longer afterwards. Um, Harold Hunter, um, who played Harold, the adorable uh, African American guy. I think he's. He's got a, a few cute scenes that are maybe not appropriate. I won't discuss. You'll just have to see it specifically yeah. at the pool. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I have to laugh at that every time it happens. Um, but, um, he, yeah, he died, um, I think, in the late 2000s. But um, I just feel like we have a podcast and there's like this rest in peace moment. But rest in peace to yeah. both of these actors who really made their supreme contribution to this movie. And I guess Rosaria Dawson is always that, yeah, the Cinderella story of, I mean, cause she's, I think she's an incredible actress and I think she's had this great career. And I mean, literally was discovered on a stoop in New York, like sitting down like Larry Clark and they uh, were making like walk up on her and they're like, yeah, you're (laughs) like perfect for this movie. And, I th- there's like a, a quote uh, from Harmony Corinne. He, he said something like, I wrote this part just for you. I don't even know you, but like this part is you. And that was Rosario Dawson. She had her parents read the script and they were enthused about it, which go mom and dad. Thanks. Thanks for being into that. Yeah, I think I read in an interview that her parents were, um, were both artists and they... Mm-hmm struggled really hard they were like living in a place with like out without heat or electricity for a moment when she was younger Mm -hmm. because they wanted her to live in the city and so they were living in a place that was like unobtainable to them so they were like scrapping so that she could get like a experience of being in a metropolitan area and like getting exposed to art and real life experience and she um and amazingly she said that she wouldn't give any of that up because she said she, if it wasn't for that, she wouldn't be sitting on that stoop in New York. Yeah. And didn't you said, uh, we talked a couple days ago and you said that she does, um, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's charity work or what she does for a lot of community service. I can't think of the name of the, but yeah, she does a lot of community service work for, um, young women living in New York. Yeah, kids that were kind of in her position. Yeah, same situation. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Her character specifically in this movie, I think that she wasn't necessarily like the girl that she's portraying, but she knew that that's how kids talked. And there were, um, she she said something like there were, uh, there was a heck of a lot of lines to memorize but because of how it was written and probably in due to being written by a 19 year old um that it was so it was so easy to memorize the lines because it was just like that's how kids talked yeah yeah i think a lot of the fact that this is written by some someone who lived on who lived these streets and like 
was hanging out with this group of kids and you know I'll say this for there's a lot of hate toward Larry Clark before we chose to do this (laughs) we both we did some research high and low to make sure that there wasn't any shady shady stuff about Larry Clark because it was like if there is we're not doing this for the podcast and you know, people were, a lot of people have said this movie, it feels voyeuristic, feels kind of gross and creepy. And we've got like this older, like 50s age dude that is a photographer of young inner city kids. And like the first thing that clicks in your mind is like, eh, is there something weird going on here? Um, but as far as what we can find. Everything that I found from yeah. interviews with kids who are uh, interviews with actors who work with Larry Clark in interviews with Larry Clark where he says, because this was his first film, he was mm-hmm. a street photographer, um, artist, and he was interested in filmmaking. And he said his reason for doing, I mean, he's gone on to make several movies where youth is, kids are the main topic. Yeah. But he said his, he said that he wanted to do the opposite of what most directors do and that he wanted yeah. to make a movie about something he didn't know about, um, which most first-time directors, you're gonna do you're, what you know. You're trained to say, you know, write what you know, do what you know. It's your first movie, but he wanted to do the exact opposite. And he said, what he didn't know about is what was going on. He was 50 at the time that he did Kids, and what he didn't know about is what's going on with 15-year-old, 16-year-old kids at this time in history. And so he went down to Washington Square Park in New York started hanging out with these kids, started skateboarding, even though he didn't know how to skateboard, so he, like, injured his body several times, and that's where he met Harmony Corinne and, you know, built enough trust within these kids to get them to, you know, do this movie. And and that's the thing is, again, yeah, it's it's hard because it is a – there's a lot of rough subjects, and it's – I think it toes a line of, like, you know, you're saying, is this voyeuristic? Is he obsessed with – yeah. young kids but I don't again I'm not defending Larry Clark because I'd but but again I've I've again we searched time low because it was it yeah. was definitely a a, a a a moment of concern in doing this movie yeah. for the podcast he honestly just seems like someone that is genuinely interested and yeah it looks weird from the outside but from the way that like kids talk about him and even like there were some kids that were saying who is this weirdo like middle-aged dude that's like hanging out and taking pictures of us and then when he like is opening up like who he is and his friends with harmony corinne and it's like no he's cool dude he's he's with me he's all right like that there wasn't any weirdness and even in interviews afterwards like these kids or these now adults like much older there doesn't seem to be anything strange it just seems to be like a legit like He's just a middle-aged dude, a photographer, that um, wanted to make a movie. And I think he's gone on to do a couple of strong films. Yeah. I mean, Bully, I thought, was a very, again, another very harsh very watch, hard. but a very telling, uh, like a realistic portrayal of like... Oh, Brad Renfro. Yeah, Brad Renfro. R.I.P. Bully's too, a great Too many movie. young, yeah, good actors that... Another drug overdose, I remember correctly. Well, let's... Uh, Let's get out of this 
this there is so much to talk about with kids yeah there's too there's too much but we we need to go into our pick of the week okay um we'll come back to like a final thought on kids but we'll we'll uh stop here though my pick of the week is not any more uplifting than kids (laughs) so this is going to be a dark episode um uh my pick of the week i chose the river's edge uh have you seen have you seen this movie it's been a very very long time so with the river's edge uh, the reason why i picked this one in conjunction with kids is that i feel like this is kind of was the kids of the 80s version it was a movie that a lot of people kind of despised and it was controversial but it also rang true to a lot of people with uh this sort of like desolation and almost like out of touch with emotions that that teenagers can have and uh the movie is also sort of loosely based on a true crime so it's like a true crime movie um essentially the plot of the film is a guy a group of friends a guy strangles his girlfriend at the edge of this river and confides in one of his friends and slowly as her body is laying by this riverside decomposing the group of friends goes down and sees the body and instead of going to the cops they aren't dealing with it like an emotional way uh chris mcglover plays the friend of the main killer uh and he turns this whole thing into this dramatic you know like oh i gotta help you man like you know i gotta do all this stuff it's like this very manic portrayal but it's very real in the sense of this crime happens and these kids can't cope with it in a real way so they almost they're just like pretending that this hasn't happened they don't call the police um when they go they see the body and it doesn't register it's like this is their friend and so the movie kind of goes on and at the same time there's it deals with a lot of rawness with like sex and doing drugs and uh, broken homes and there's a scene in the movie where eventually the cops the finally someone Keanu Reeves uh in a really subtle I think nice performance uh, but he put in some really good work uh, early in his career and this being one of them um but eventually uh someone puts in a, a call to the police and when the police there's a scene where the detective is starting to question these kids and this detective is so mad because he's he can't believe that humans would do this you know it's like your friend is dead and you guys are just on the news like goofing and it you know turning this into almost like this like event thing that happened like this it, it, it's not real and it's not even till the end of the movie where the wake of the main girl who died where we actually see like an emotional response from all these kids and it is a very tough film to watch it is uh, uh also stars dennis hopper in like a very crazy performance uh like usual him doing what he does best but it does to me it's very relatable in the way kids is where it's a very harsh and uncomfortable film to watch but at the same time i think it rings true with you know the detachment that uh, teenagers have of being you've heard a million times of like feeling indestructible and like that's not gonna happen to me and like they're faced with this situation of like oh their friend killed somebody and instead of no one wants to go to the cops well i don't want to tattle on my friend or whatever they 
are all dealing with in their own way and they each make it about themselves. No one's actually caring about the girl who was like strangled and left by the riverside. It's all about each character, how it's affecting them in their life in this very self-absorbed way, which, you know, we are a self-absorbed society. I mean, it's something that isn't new territory, but I think that the movie was very effective. It's very dark, um, but it is a very riveting and real engrossing movie. Uh, And if you're a fan of true crime type movies, I think it's something worth checking out. And also yet another movie that uh, had a lot of, much like kids, Ione Skye, Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, Crispin Glover, um, people that went on to do tons and tons of movies. This is one of the early films. It's worth a look. Not a very pleasant watch. I put that on the same list with like Bad Lieutenant and Kids. It's, it's, it, but you have to be in that mood willing to take that challenge. But, uh, it, you know, it's worth worth checking out. I feel like I'm in that mood a lot. I'm always down to watch a movie like that. It really has been a second since I've seen that because I don't remember any of that. And as soon as you said Ioni Sky, I was like, yeah, that's right. Anyway, I'm going to need to borrow that from you. Yeah. That's I, okay. I will say uh, to me, comparatively, River's Edge next to kids. Uh, River's Edge is one of the few movies where uh, I kind of feel like a little like upset to my stomach at the end. Oof. It leaves you feeling that ill. But. You're speaking my language right now. But the thing is, is like, you know, (laughs) to have that reaction to something. I mean, if you want to have like a real gut reaction to something, uh, sit down and watch River's Edge. I'm going to need to borrow that from you tonight. Along with some other things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What was your pick of the week again? Uh, My pick is The Last Days of Disco. Uh, Last Days of Disco. Yeah. From 98 and also starred... uh, Chloe 70. I can't remember if it was because of kids or just Chloe 70 um, that I rented with Stillman's The Last Days of Disco, um, but it's ended up being a long lasting favorite of mine. The biggest reason being that it relies almost completely on dialogue, and whenever this happens in movies, it is always something that I love. It's a very, very racially white movie. Um, set in the early 80s, uh, the end of the disco era, deals with Ivy League recently graduated yuppies and their interaction uh, within their social group. It's centered around a super popular disco club um, and of course leads us into this analysis of uh, sexual politics and friendship group dynamics. Um, this movie is is Stillman's um, third installment called The Doomed bourgeoisie and love series um, preceded by 1990s Metropolitan and 94's Barcelona. It's very much a story that revolves around um, a lot of a a lot of characters kind of like kids it's a lot of kind of prominent characters um, but most heavily on um, Seveny and Kate Beckinsale. With these two specifically their performances are so earnest um, (laughs) I start laughing because like some sometimes jesus the lines that are delivered especially by kate beckinsale you're just like oh my god you are such a raging bee anyway um with the (laughs) with their performances (laughs) sorry but she's she's so good in this role but man some of the lines she delivers are just so rude uh, they're just really good at these roles and they play it like um, actually how people speak and through what they they say 
their true motivations and what type of person they actually are are what's revealed now like the absence of it, it always really sticks out to me that this movie is incredibly white um the but i think that the absence of like racial diversity in this movie is unintentional it's more like an indication of this like narrow specific demographic um like upper echelon of folks that we're following in this movie I don't think it's like social commentary. It's just like this particular group on the surface. This movie looks really basic, maybe even like kind of boring. Um, again, like there's no real racial diversity. Um, no, um, it can look like there's no depth. Even looking at the cover of the movie, it's 70 and Beckinsale dancing. But um, when you are absorbed by the dialogue, um, the intense cutting subde- subtext and the wit that's contained in the film, it actually reveals the very few characters within the film that are redeeming as opposed to more characters that are completely revolting and superficial. Um, As an aside, um, there's an unfortunate similarity in uh, 70s characters in both Kids and The Last Days of Disco, wherein they both lose their virginity and contract um, an STI. Um, I'm sure this wasn't planned um, in casting her for this role, but it did make me totally smack my forehead when I watched them back to back. Disco's director was also the same director on Kids um, and was the, rec- the the person that recommended her for the role. And she actually beat out Winona Ryder for this role because Winona Ryder's agent dragged his feet on this one. Um, the casting director? was the same for kids the um the editor editor sorry i might have misspoke it was the editor um for both kids and disco that recommended her for this uh so like personally like i have very little in common with the characters in this film but it's the hilariously honest and on point dialogue that's always going to be the hook for me um the uncomfortable truths um that happen within it um it, it's kind of it's kind of what happens within all of us it's just like this movie says the things that we don't say because it's either rude or uncouth um and as squirmy as it can be um in some instances it's also like the entire reason i love this movie too can't remember the reason why i even discovered it because there's nothing remarkable about the cover of the movie but it was during the time when i worked at a video store so I'm I'm thinking that I just rented it because of, of kids and because I knew that the Chloe Seventy was was in kids. Um, Last Days of Disco, I do out of all his movies, I, I really enjoy. Yeah, out of all of them, it's completely my favorite. Again, like it is not like the subject matter isn't something that's really going to, in general, appeal to like a much younger demographic. Um, it doesn't make it any less entertaining. I think if if you if you like words and dialogue and the way that people interact and just like human interaction and like reading between the lines, one of one of my most favorites would be the last days of disco. Well, thanks for uh, sharing that. that and was... if you like disco, it's got a great soundtrack too. I, I can get down with some disco music. It also talks a lot of trash on disco too. So yeah, there's that. Uh, speaking of music, just in, uh, just a last thing on kids yeah. um, before we go to the Murray moment. Uh, music in this really turned me on to quite a few bands. Folk Implosion. Um, Folk Implosion, Lou Barlow. Uh, yeah. 
um, Daniel Johnston, uh, and one of the few movies I think that I know the Beastie Boys were like very, uh, they were not big on releasing any songs for movies, but, um, and I was huge into the Beastie Boys in high school and they've, yeah. they've got like three songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very, I think music driven move movie, but not music that was real big, like popular. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it was kind of listening to it. It's like, well, this is different. Like it got me really turned on to some music. I still have like a, a full implosion um, CD single from this from this soundtrack. It's wor- this whole soundtrack's worth checking out. Yeah, I was bla- I was blasting a lot of. <laughs> that's my thing. It's like we do you, these movies. And you I'm with just that like, top down blasting that soundtrack. I wish I could. Whew. I wish I had a top I could put down. <laughs> <laughs> it's still gonna be the vision in my mind yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, just gives me reason to. Yeah, no, it's great. Bust out a playlist. Um, <laughs> I love that. All right, we're getting pretty far along here. Here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Hey, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes embrace all. Striking. That was fun. All right. um, Now, Billy Murray doesn't really have a past like the kids in kids um however that doesn't mean that he's always been free of debauchery he's totally a colorful human full of life experiences and for this week in honor of kids i'm gonna talk about a little time when he got super deep into some dope dealing um during his early college days uh, when he briefly and kind of half-heartedly studied pre-med in Denver, right around 20 years old, um, before Second City was even a thought, Billy was collecting stories and experiences from traveling around the country, dealing and delivering some high-class marijuana. Um, these interactions with random people and doing drug deals gave him an opportunity to kind of be a funny guy. Um, Billy would recount these stories to his friends back in Denver, um, about how he got busted for dealing, even fingerprinted in some instances, um, but later getting off the hook because there wasn't much interest in a small town or a small time guy, um, being busted by small town cops. Such a different time, um, then. Um, however, this would come to an abrupt end when Billy got busted at O'Hare Airport in Chicago for possession of marijuana in 1970. So over 50 years ago, or almost 50 years ago, I guess, um, Billy didn't have, forgot, or misplaced his ID when he was trying to board the plane. Um, When he was refused um, to get on the plane, he said to security, well, that's too bad. I wanted to get on because uh, I got these two bombs in my suitcase. <laughs> I can't even... I mean, of course he's going to say something like that. He's always going for the laugh. Even when it's about bombs at the most inappropriate times. 
Now, he may not have had bombs in his suitcase, but he did have five bricks of weed, which weighed about eight pounds and was the equivalent of about $20,000 at the time. Billy has said about the incident, it was stupid, and I guess I was turning myself in, basically. He was later convicted of possession, um, but only received probation, which is hilarious to me considering all the noise that has been made in subsequent years regarding marijuana possession. One really cool aspect of this story, and even kind of thoughtful, um, that I never knew until recently, was that when he was busted, he literally ate a personal check that was given to him by um, the person who had paid him for the weed. He didn't have to do that. He knew he was already kind of screwed, um, but he tried to protect basically a total stranger. And who knows, maybe there's something more to this. Like there was another reason that he ate the check, but he still did it. No matter what you ever hear about Billy, um, the man always has these stories where he seems like a normal dude and then he does something silly and there's a whole lot more of elaboration on the story begins to unfold. Um, in this case, being silly and sarcastic got him in trouble with the cops. Um, but having honed this craft over the years, um, he's ended up making money using his ridiculous sense of humor to his advantage, I'd say. I think he's kind of worked it um, in his favor. Man, that's a lot of weed. <laughs> so much weed, that dude. That wasn't like he was going to sell a couple dime bags. That was like <laughs> no. some serious he had dealing. five bricks of weed. That's a lot of weed. Yeah. Man. It's a it's a pretty well-known story that this that this happened to him, but I mean, he was he was always also kind of like flailing a little bit, you know? Yeah. He he had friends that were in college, but it like the college lifestyle was just not for him. He he liked the idea, like the slacker idea and like going to class in pajamas and stuff. It's just like that focused school setting was just not his jam and he was doing other things man this being one of them at the time well sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do i guess i guess so oh billy why you gotta say you got bombs in your bag dude come on <laughs> you're trying to not draw attention to your bag that has eight pounds of marijuana in it and you say jokingly that you got bombs what are you thinking? Because you're high. That's why. I mean, I don't know that. Yeah. But. Well, thank you for that uh, very. Uh, it was, it was sort of like appropriate close, to kids. Yeah, like, as close as I yeah, could yeah, get to kids, like, really. Yeah. I've stopped wondering how you're going to connect them. I know that you'll find some, <laughs> some way. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll find out every week. I never know. Well, thanks for another Murray moment. Of course. Um. Well, we are just about out of time here. A um, couple of just last thoughts about kids. You said you had something you wanted to mention. Yeah. Um, one aspect of this movie, there's a lot of cultural significance, I, I think, uh, for kids specifically. Um, one being that... It dawned on me that this is now the the second movie where AIDS has come up, and the, the first we talked about in episode three with Reality Bites, um, where AIDS 
has come up and this is reality bites was 94 this is 95 this is like during like the height of like the aids like scare i mean of course it started many years earlier um but we're starting to talk about safe sex this is starting to be a topic that is um highly talked about and even um harmony corinne saying you know we didn't really know the specifics of aids we just knew we didn't want to get it and this is um if anything kids was supposed to be um like the jaws aids was supposed to be like jaws you know like something you don't even know what it is or how it's going to get you but you don't want to get it it dawned on me though um that i i think it's super interesting that during the time this was aids was stigmatized as a gay disease and it's interesting to me that both like reality bites and kids took this and were like actually dude it is affecting like a lot of people and it's it's not just affecting gay population it is everyone and i think that it's important to notice that and and in no way am i discounting that the like gay population that it has affected or and still continues to affect but like this is crossing all barriers and or crossing all like lines orientation lines um and that if anything things like reality bites and kids really help bring this to an audience that was maybe or that maybe had stigmatized the disease and were like this can't affect me whatever right and and even like um you know it is it is even talked about um in a very like offhanded manner in kids like that's not gonna affect me or or there's a great quote that i'm not it's inappropriate to say but just saying that like you don't really care if it if i'm if i'm gonna get it i'm gonna I'm going to get it going down having sex. Like (laughs) it is a much better quote in the movie, but it's also terrible. Um, But I, I do appreciate that this movie took that stigma and took the power out of like this being a gay disease and because it's not. And um, I, I do like that. It made it the, what, what I think what I said earlier, like, this movie the reason this movie is a story and not just like following a group of delinquents is that this is about the chloe 70 character trying to find the dude that gave her hiv and it is um so important and such a good story and it's um i don't know i guess my point of this was to say for kids to pay attention and I don't know think about safe sex but at the time in 1995 this was super appropriate it's still appropriate now um but at the time I think it was um even edgier and very brave to go about it in that way yeah no you make a good point because I I think the first sex ed class I had in high school was like 90 two maybe yeah 93 and was like 90 they didn't mention aids the i mean they were it was still not something it was like 
they were still either talking about herpes yeah. or getting pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Th- I think there were, um, when the teacher left during my sex ed class, there were tampons that were thrown around the room. So that's how seriously it was yeah. taken. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe I'm, I'm just going to go on a campaign and send copies of the movie kids to random high schools and yeah. a little sticky note that says, consider this for your sex ed class. Let me know how, how that, how that, how works that turns out. out. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, there, there's a lot of culturally, significant things in this movie if anything it is exposing how adolescent kids at the time and i sadly i don't think that it's just limited to 1995 um i think that the more that culture progresses and probably with the evolution of social media like things kind of get worse and almost even more disconnected because also we should also say that kids, this movie would have never happened um, if we had cell phones in 95. Chloe would have called Telly up on the phone and been like, uh, hey, bro, right. yeah, you gave me HIV. Um, this would have never happened. Um, <clears throat> anyway. The, a- the, the, the plot device wouldn't have <laughs> happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they both still would have had AIDS. But they both still would have had AIDS. Yeah. Maybe Casper wouldn't have gotten. I right. mean, I'm assuming that, but or well, it would have went. It would have went uh, to the girl. Spo- well, uh, people would have like talked about. You know, information would have traveled. Yeah, somebody would like, have posted on Facebook. Fast, yeah, it would yeah. have been someone would have been shamed on the internet. It probably would have gone a very very yeah. dark path. Um, but yeah, I'd there, be cu- I'll be curious of of if uh, a modern version of the rawness whoa. of like the the social media age of of what kids are dealing with in high school. I would love to see that. Yeah. I would really love to see that, like a modern day version of this. Um, yeah. What are kids dealing with? Where's the rawness? Where's the film that shows that, that shows yeah. the same depth and that's it, in kids? It may exist. I just yeah, maybe I'm not is. hip to it. I'll, I'll look for it. Or maybe if, if you know exists, you know, let email us, know. us. Yeah, let us know. Yeah. Um. Well, is that? I think we gotta wrap this up. I think we're wrapping it up. Um. But wrapping uh, it up, like you're wearing a condom. Wow. Safe sex message. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's several places that you can find us. Uh since we're talking about social media yes um we're on facebook uh, we're on instagram at don't push pause podcast uh you can go directly to our website at don't push pause and you can email us directly at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com so what do we have coming up next here all right guys so thanksgiving's coming up and we thought about you know like one of our favorites planes trains and automobiles yeah, and that seemed kind of too on the nose yeah maybe. So a little we, too obvious we went a little bit different we did um so we went for ang lee's the ice storm from 97 and this is one of my top favorite movies and I, i'm the most excited about this because this is of 
of any movie we've done what are we like 17 episodes in here mm-hmm. um this is going to be like the least familiar of any film uh, i haven't i haven't seen seen it since it came out so i got some homework to do for oh, this next man. episode yeah yeah this is going to be a great discussion there's there's a lot to talk about um visually thematically the acting i adore this movie but um, it is um we're, we're gonna kind of continue with um a little dark dark november <laughs> dark november yeah yep exactly yeah so we hope you've enjoyed kids. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna keep with the darkness. Yeah. But then we'll we'll lighten it up. We'll we'll, we'll get into December. Yeah. We'll, we'll lighten it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So until then, uh I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks for listening. Thank you.